Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Oh, dear friends, it's great to be with you. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Did you enjoy the super moon? Not the super bowl, the super moon. Uh, Saturday night, big, spectacular uh, show, depending on where you were and whether it was visible or not. But uh, uh, I tell you, i got to be honest, not a big fan of the supermoon. And uh, maybe a little later, when we open up the phone lines, uh, we can we can talk about the supermoon. But it, it I had, the last two, three nights, an incredibly restless uh, sleep. Did not sleep well. And now I'm wondering whether it can be attributed to the supermoon. Of course, there's been a, a debate, an age-old debate about whether the moon, the full moon, a supermoon can affect your mood and your sleep and so forth. Well, now researchers are starting to weigh in on this on the side that supports the idea that a supermoon can, in fact, disrupt your sleep pattern. So maybe we'll get into that maybe at some point because... We just had the supermoon, but we've got two more coming our way this summer, consecutive months. I believe August 9th and September 10th, we've got two more supermoons coming down the pipe. Uh, I, I just got off the phone with Jim Fetzer, 9-11 truther, JFK assassination researcher, writer, uh, investigator. And uh, we were chatting about next week's show. Uh, next week, by the by, I'll be hosting a Coast to Coast, June 19th and 20th. That's next Saturday and Sunday night. But, but, I'm still doing the conspiracy show next Sunday night. Not to worry. You're my first priority. Anyway, so Jim Fetzer and I were chatting just before the show, uh, talking about next week's show, because... Um, you may recall I've been trying to get Wolfgang Halbig on the program to discuss his investigation into the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting that happened December 2012. So here, here we are a year and a half later and still lots of unanswered questions. So I had Wolfgang, as you know, scheduled for an interview on two separate occasions and both times, for whatever reason, he stiffed me. Uh, so instead, Jim Fetzer will be with me next week because Jim traveled to Newtown, Connecticut back in May, along with Wolfgang, and they were both poking around asking some pretty uncomfortable uh, questions, and they were met with, perhaps predictably, stony silence and scorn. And I want to let you know uh, that I'm that what I'm hearing from Jim Fetzer regarding Sandy Hook is absolutely shocking, almost unbelievable. Uh, yet the evidence... Or should I say, the lack of evidence of a shooting is pretty darn compelling. And I, I, I hope you'll, you'll tune in next week when Jim Fetzer joins me to uh, discuss this in detail. Quite frankly, our conversation again just before showtime has left me a little shaken. Uh, so anyway, Jim Fetzer on the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting next week on The Conspiracy Show. Also next week, Michael Luckman. Uh, director of the New York Center for Extraterrestrial Research and the author of Alien Rock, the rock and roll extraterrestrial connection, uh, will join me. Uh, meanwhile, back on Earth, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? I mean, if someone wasn't firing rockets at someone else somewhere in the Middle East, I'd be shocked and confused. Uh, and just when we thought Al-Qaeda was 
so passe, so 2007, we now have a new threat, ISIS, this rampaging band of well-funded Sunni jihadists who are trying to establish a caliphate in uh, Iraq and Syria. So al-Qaeda is out, apparently, and uh, we now have a new enemy called ISIS and a new bin Laden, by all accounts, al-Baghdadi. Uh, and here, here's where it, it gets kind of confusing. For all you playing along at home, try to follow the uh, the bouncing ball. The United States has announced that in order to contain ISIS, now this is a group, we're told, by Jordania, uh, Jordanian officials who were interviewed in Der Spiegel magazine a, a short while ago, ISIS members were trained by U.S. military personnel in secret Jordanian training camps. So the, new, the U.S. is now announcing they're going to cooperate with Russia, Syria, and Iran to try and contain the monster they created, although they're not telling anybody they did that. Ostensibly, ISIS was trained in order to help the Free Syrian Armor, uh, Army oust Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. But now they're going to work with Assad and, and, uh, and uh, this battle with ISIS in order that was created to oust Assad. And they're going to rely on Russian air support in this battle. And they're going to cooperate with the great enemy Iran in all of this. Does any of this make sense to anyone? Of course not, because things are never as they appear. And whenever I'm thoroughly confused about what's going on, I mean really going on backstage in the global theater, I turn to my, uh, my next guest, who is the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. He's a, a conservative political commentator, a nonfiction survivalist author, retreat consultant who specializes in preparedness topics, particularly survival retreat and fallout shelter design and construction, as well as in what he calls strategic relocation. And he is, as I say, the founder and chief editor of World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service. Joel Skousen, welcome to The Conspiracy Show once again, my friend. How are you? Well, I'm fine, thank you. That's a great introduction you gave uh, to our uh, troubled world that I comment on each week. Well, uh, and, and uh, before we, we get to uh, this week's news uh, service or edition of the World Affairs Brief, I just want to quickly get your comment on uh, this never-ending uh, story in uh, Israel. The latest, of course, uh, Hamas has been raining down rockets on Israel, and Israel has been responding in kind in Gaza, but uh, of course uh, the casualties are just piling up on the Palestinian side, which of course has the entire world in an uproar, and understandably so. I mean, on, the, the casualties on, on always seem to be greater on the uh, the other side, shall we say, the Palestinian side, we're talking about women and children, and, and the images are stark and horrible. What what are we to make of this, uh, uh, Joel? I mean, it just seems to be the, this never-ending saga. Well, it is never-ending, and it will never end. Uh, there'll never be peace between the uh, Palestinians and the Israelis. Um, but what was interesting uh, to me from a historical perspective is that you will notice that whenever... The Israelis, which are far superior in their military abilities, in no small part due to extensive U.S. aid to uh, develop high-tech uh, military technology. They never are 
allowed to finish a battle with the Hamas or any of the radical jihadists that are part of the uh, the Arab movement. And let me just first of all preface my remarks by saying both sides have innocent people involved, and both sides have bad governments, equally bad in my opinion. So there are no good people. There are only victims uh, that are getting in the crossfire here between two very evil governments. Uh, the Israeli government under Benjamin Netanyahu is not pro-Israel. It's not pro-Zionist. It's nothing like that. It's globalist. Benjamin Netanyahu was a Kissinger protege. Uh, Kissinger and Associates paid for his education in the United States. They gave him his first uh, job in Wall Street. They set him up in political power in Israel by having him host as a young 29-year-old or so a anti-terrorism conference in Israel to which they graced with the presence of George H.W. Bush and Henry Kissinger and all the big globalist heavyweights. And whenever you can bring those kinds of people into Israel, you're an instant political star. So they made him a political star. But he plays as if he's a right-winger, but in fact he's a globalist, and there's a big difference. On the Palestinian side, you know, you have some very real uh, terrorists who used to be very much connected with the uh, old Soviet bloc, going back to the PLO days. But, you know, there was a very interesting thing that happened historically in there when Yasser Arafat was in charge, a very corrupt individual. When he got when he died, it turned out that he had over, what was it, $30 million in a Swiss bank account. And it turns out that the Israelis had helped set him up. You know, the U.S. bailed out Arafat many years, even when he was attacking U.S. troops in, uh, in Lebanon and was uh, caught there. So nothing is as it seems, Richard, in this world. Here you have the Israelis helping Arafat with a secret bank account, and who was it? It turned out to be Mark Rich, a dual citizenship Jew and uh, working with the Clinton administration who set up that bank account. He was also the one pardoned by President Bill Clinton as his last day uh, in, in office. And so there's a real connection between both sides. In a nutshell, my take on this, is that the globalists essentially are playing both sides here. They continue to pour aid into the Palestinian Authority, uh, knowing that it's not leading to peace, but it's simply uh, keeping a war machine together. And, you know, after every one of these battles, Israel attacks Hamas, and they never finish the job. And they have this truce, and I can guarantee you a truce is coming before Hamas is eradicated, and they will have eliminated some of the rocket launching sites, and they'll rebuild them again. And so in the meantime, good. innocent uh, Jews and innocent Arabs are being used as bloody battering rams against one another. It's just uh, a tragic, uh, a horror show beyond uh, imagination. But here's where they're headed, and we got a glimpse of this. I predicted this several years ago in my World Affairs Brief, and we just got a confirmation of that this week, when one of the major globalist publications came out with their solution to the Middle East. And I've always said, the reason they stop short of winning and getting rid of the radicals on either side is that the globalists really want continual conflict. They ultimately want UN intervention, because with UN intervention you have destruction of sovereignty and you have basically a global government coming into Israel and managing the whole area. And sure enough, globalist thinking comes out with their solution for the Palestinians and said, we're going to call a truce. And we're going to bring in American and Canadian peacekeepers 
and they're going to occupy the Gaza Strip. Instead of the Israelis manning the border, we'll have peacekeepers manning the border. All of a sudden, for the first time, you have this big suggestion we're going to have, you know, U.N., uh, American and, and Canadian soldiers uh, keeping the peace between these two sides. That's their entrance in there. And once, as we know, peacekeepers enter in, uh, it's really a, a, a reduction in sovereignty. You never get your freedom back. You simply have a managed uh, state solution by a, by a global government. But there has to be a reason why no one ever reaches a solution here uh, to get rid of the rockets and the tunnels. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have a truce. The Hamas has always used the Jews to build more rockets. And then, you know, the global solution is we confiscate their rockets. So what difference does it make? They were gone the last time, and they have extensive tunnel smuggling through Egypt and through the Mediterranean Sea, and they're going to build more rockets. So All right. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief, stays with us as we take a peek backstage in the global theater. Things are not as they appear. Back with more of my conversation with Joel here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, just a reminder, season three of The Conspiracy Show television program with Richard Serrett debuts across Canada on Vision TV August the 11th at 10 p.m. 13 brand new episodes, August 11th, 10 p.m. Eastern across Canada on Vision TV. All right, Joel Skousen stays with us, editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Before we get back to the Middle East, Joel, how do people subscribe to World Affairs Brief? Well, the World Affairs Brief is showcased on my website, worldaffairsbrief.com, and there's a modest subscription for the World Affairs Brief. They can click on the subscribe button, but before they do so, they should email me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com for a free sample copy, and I'll be happy to send it out to them. All right. Uh, Joel, a while back we learned uh, from sources like Der Spiegel magazine that ISIS, uh, this rampaging group of Sunni jihadists, um, were actually trained, some of them anyway, trained by U.S. military personnel on a secret uh, military base in Jordan, uh, ostensibly to assist the Free Syrian Army in ousting uh, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Uh, and now, uh, Frankenstein's monster has uh, uh, gotten out of control and is now knocking on the uh, the door of Saudi Arabia. And so, in order to contain the monster, we're now being told and asked to believe that the United States is going to join uh, in cooperation with its enemies, Russia, Syria, and Iran. I'm really confused, Joe. <laughs> Help me sort this out. What kind of strange alliance is this? Well, it is typical of what the United States has built in the name of world stability and democracy. They have funded terrorism. They've funded jihadists around the world. That's what Benghazi was all about, secret weapons conduit, the weapons that the United States had captured during the uh, Libyan war, and we're shipping those to the Syrian jihadists. There's also been, and since that was shut down, obviously, and the weapons captured by competitors, the pipeline now goes through Saudi Arabia and Turkey, and that's where uh, ISIS is getting most of their weapons. So it's not just a little bit of training in Jordan. They've got sophisticated weapons. And the U.S., of course, with its total surveillance system, both satellites in the sky and eavesdropping, 
knows exactly what's been going on. And the bigger story, of course, is that the Iraqis under al-Maliki had uh, desperately tried to get the U.S. and British to interdict and uh, bomb the camps that were being uh, built up uh, using as an attack base in Iraq before this all started last month, and the U.S. and British just thumbed their nose at it, refused, which means that the U.S. not only knew that they were arming a future enemy that was going to play havoc in Iraq, but they refused to interdict those forces when they were in camps, and now they can't interdict, meaning they can't interdict because they're out of the camps now and they're into the cities. They have attacked, captured most of the cities in northern Iraq, given uh, Kirkuk and the rest to the uh, Kurdish faction, which are holding tight to their possessions. I don't believe that ISIS is going to be able to take over Baghdad South. I don't think they're intended to. But I think we're going to see, finally, the separation into three ethnic groups in Iraq. But ultimately, it's a misnomer to say that the U.S. has joined forces with Iran and Russia. There is no formal coalition of managing this war together. There's simply the U.S., is saying, you know, we've got our territory, the Baghdad embassy, the green zone, which we control. We're bringing in troops. We're going to do this. What you do, we're not going to oppose. And so uh, Russians have some SU fighters in there that are running uh, airstrikes. It gave al-Maliki an excuse to cancel the F-16 contract with the United States, which was taking years. I don't think the U.S. really intended to give them the F-16s. Now they've got Russians to replace them. And Iran is coming in with uh, Republican Guard forces, in order, or not Republican Guard, but their Revolutionary Guard, in order to uh, make sure that the Sunnis do not get Baghdad South and the oil revenue. But ultimately, I think where this is headed, Richard, is that the U.S. will use the excuse to attack ISIS as an excuse for going back in and attacking Syria. Remember that Syria has to be taken down before Israel is unleashed against Iran. And these temporary treaties they've got with chemical weapons treaty with Assad and the nuclear treaty or agreement uh, with Iran is just a temporary de delaying tactic because of John Kerry's mistake in giving Assad an out by giving up his chemical weapons. The U.S. then was bound to slow down what was going to be an imminent attack on Assad. How much of ISIS presence in Iraq has to do with U.S. intent for regime change in Iraq because Maliki has, I mean, let's face it, he and Assad are Iran's only friends in the region. So is that one of the stated objectives for ISIS being there, to provide a pretext for regime change, to get rid of Maliki, who has also formed certain alliances with Putin? Well, I don't think so because the U.S. cannot allow the Sunnis to take over, and you can't do that democratically in Iraq. The Sunnis would run roughshod over uh, al-Maliki. Al-Maliki is a puppet who's playing both sides uh, very carefully, and they're going to put in another puppet, and it won't be a Sunni. And so the Sunnis will capture as much territory, and you're just going to have a stalemate, in my opinion. But ultimately, the target is Assad, not al-Maliki. Now, that said, remember that the disruption in Iraq of al-Maliki's lockhold on all of the oil revenue will stop Iraq from being a major support base for Iran, so that when Israel attacks Iran, uh, that Iraq will not be in any condition to come to Iran's help. So it's really kind of decapitating or cutting the legs under the Shiite portion of Iraq and not destroying it, uh, but not allowing it to be an effective ally of Iran.
But remember, Syria must be taken down before Israel takes on Iran. One of the names being bandied about as a replacement for the puppet Maliki would be the puppet Chalabi. Well, he's been a puppet, of course, from the CIA from the beginning. They, they wanted him before they wanted al-Maliki. It was unacceptable because of his CIA paid background. And I'll tell you, the Sunnis aren't going to accept him. The Shiites really don't like him. They deal, they accept the fact that the U.S. has a lockhold on the green zone and that they are owing to them, but none of them like the U.S., in Iraq, not the Kurds, not the Sunnis, not the Shias. So uh, ultimately, what I think is intended, though, is they want a complete new Middle East war. And that Middle East war will start with the attack of Iran after... And the reason Syria has to be taken out of the way is Israel doesn't want to attack Iran until Syria's missiles, which are the largest retaliatory threat against Israel, are out of the way. And that's what Israel has demanded for years now. And the U.S. has finally taken that seriously and going to remove Assad. They've just been having trouble doing it. But believe me, they're building up forces in Turkey for an invasion of Syria. The U.S. just has to find a way to prove that Assad is cheating on the chemical weapons treaty or undo it in some way to justify it. And it may well be that ISIS, with a major basis in Syria, will be the U.S. excuse for invading Syria with NATO, U.S., and Turkish troops uh, in order to save Assad, but in, in the same sense, they could very well end up you know, capturing Assad and, uh, and removing his military threat. Joel Skousen is uh, the editor and publisher of World Affairs Brief. How much of this has to do with creating a, a new front for a war with Putin, seeing that, that he seems to be too entrenched and too strong to take on in Ukraine, they want to perhaps, when I say they, U.S. and their NATO allies and their friends in the Gulf region, open up a new front so that they can wage war, I guess, almost by proxy against Russia in the Middle East. I don't think so. Uh, Putin has shown in multiple instances that he has no intention of going to war yet with the West until it's a war of his choosing. And, for example, he was an ally with Iraq. He claimed that we would defend Iraq, wouldn't let the U.S. attack, didn't do a thing other than eavesdrop on U.S. military operations during uh, Iraqi freedom. Putin showed no signs that he was going to intervene in Syria as well to stop the U.S. In fact, he never did deliver the S-300 missiles that he was supposed to uh, deliver. He kept promising them, but he didn't. And I don't think that he'll defend Iran. Putin is waiting for remilitarization to be complete before he tackles the West. And he's also waiting for his ally China to be ready as well to join in that attack. And I don't think they'll. None of their top aligned weapon systems are scheduled to be online until the beginning of the next decade. And so I think we're at least four or five years still away from a major war with Russia and China. And I think the Middle East war is probably going to go down within the next two years. I believe it was in last week's issue that uh, you reported on a, uh, a think tank in Washington, a neocon think tank uh, headed by uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, was essentially sending out the early warning signs that the United States needs to prepare for war against Russia and China. Tell me more about that. No, they actually weren't sending out a warning. What they were doing was basically saying this is a major problem now that Russia is being, China is becoming more aggressive, just like I've been saying. And they just said, we need to make sure that our military is prepared for that eventuality. And they said, not that we believe that this is going to happen. They're saying, we just believe in peace through strength. 
But what they're really doing, you know, the globalists have been permissive with Russia and China. Don't do anything to threaten the status quo. Use containment. Containment is an excuse for permissiveness. Don't do anything to undermine them, but allow them to feel secure in their realm. You know, under containment, Kissinger gave miniature ball-bearing technology to Russia so that they can MIRV and multiple warheads on their missiles. Uh, and we've given lots of technology to China through Israel and other avenues of espionage as well. But basically what they're attempting to do here is cover for them. And I've always predicted that the globalists will downplay the Russian and Chinese threat. But when it becomes imminent, they'll start to warn against it. They'll switch sides so as to protect themselves so they can't be viewed as guilty of having been permissive about this. They will be the ones leading the warnings now so that when war comes, they will say, ah, we told you so. We were at the forefront warning about this war. When, in fact, for the past 30 years, they have been building Russia and China and creating every excuse possible to not contest Russian and Chinese hegemony. And that's the way Brzezinski is. They say he's the maximum cold warrior. Baloney, he's never been anti-Russia. He was for containment, meaning be permissive with Russia, in the name of containment, but we don't do anything to actually take them down. Well, well let me ask you about the Russian threat, because... in, in to my way of reasoning, Joel, and you can disabuse me of this, uh, but I think that the world is a much safer place when you have, given the the misadventures uh, of the of the U.S. in places like the Middle East, when you have a countervailing force like Russia, like Vladimir Putin, who I do not believe is another Hitler, although one could say yes, he may not be Hitler, but there are plenty of. Uh, um, uh, um, who was the, the British? Neville. There are plenty of Chamberlains in, in the West, uh, but I don't believe that Putin is a Hitler. Uh, 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 but I think it's important to have um, a countervailing force. We don't want a unipolar wo- uh, world, do we? Well, you know, there's an awful lot of people on the left and the right in the West who really look as Putin is the only one that can stop this globalist warmongering, and it's just naive. The point is that the Soviet Union never fell. The Communist Party just went underground. It's still in charge. It's in charge of Putin. Putin may not be a megalomaniac and psychopath as Hitler personally was, but he is a yes-man to the establishment in, in the Soviet, continuing Soviets who, can, who are planning on destroying the West. So let's not be naive about countervailing powers. And one, and, you know, Russia is in, in no way simply going to contain globalist expansionism. In fact, globalist intervention around the world is meant to hand Russia and China an excuse, to hand them an excuse to nuke the West. Now, why would globalist war, you know, leaders want a nuclear war with Russia where the Western military is attacked? Because it gives them an excuse to come out of their bunkers and say, we've been deceived, Russia and China, you know, we thought we're our friends, and now we've got a world war on our hands, and suddenly we need a global new world order, a militarized global government. That's what this is all about. It's not about containing the West from Putin's point of view. It's about playing the U.S. for suckering. That was the fall of the Soviet Union. It was suckering the West for all the aid and trade that it could get, because they couldn't build their weapon systems fast enough under communism. They need to do it under, like China. Okay, I've got, got to take a time out, Joe. Back with more of my conversation with the editor-publisher of World Affairs Brief. Backstage in the Global Theater here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. 
Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And the website is richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Joel Skousen, editor, publisher, World Affairs Brief, stays with us until the top of the hour. Once again, Joel, tell us how we can subscribe. People can subscribe to the World Affairs Brief by going to that website, uh, and there's a big subscribe button on that. You can see summaries of the current World Affairs Brief, and it explains on the website how you can get a free sample issue by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. Joel, no greater proof uh, exists for me that this war on terror is largely a phony war than the open borders between the uh, the United States and and Mexico. We have this uh, flood now of illegal aliens crossing into the United States from Mexico if they were really concerned about a terrorist threat. I mean, they would have sealed that border long ago. If I'm a member of ISIS and I'm thinking, how am I going to infiltrate the United States? Well, of course, I just, you know, cross over the Rio Grande with some C4 strapped to my back. But they don't do that. In fact, you know, the, anyone they round up, uh, these illegals are are quickly released back into the population and they don't show up for their court date. Uh, I think you pointed out in, in, in uh, this week's brief, about 95% of illegals that are rounded up do not show up for their for their court date. What's what's really going on with this, these illegal aliens crossing into the United States now? It, it's become a flood. Well, it, it's a multicultural agenda, meaning multicultural conflict. Just like the globalists in Europe have opened the floodgates to Muslim entrance into Europe, um, so that they can uh, you know change traditional voting patterns. Uh, and can demand humanitarian uh, aid and assistance, boost welfare systems. So they do that in the United States by opening the floodgates to Mexicans. And, you know, I'm a fluent Spanish speaker. I have many friends who have, you know, become responsible citizens across the border. But still, the, the majority of them want to will vote Democrat because they believe in social welfare systems. They look upon uh, those systems as uh, what will take care of us once we get to the United States and make our way. And uh, they, you know, it's it's a fool's paradise to teach or preach to Republicans that you've got to be more inclusive of the illegal aliens because they'll vote Republican if you help them out. The Democrats know that isn't true. The Latinos know that isn't true. And I think the Republican leadership knows that's true. But they, what I've said long ago is that the Republican leadership is controlled by the same globalist cadre, CFR, and trilateralists that control the Democrats. They just give it a couple different uh, takes on it uh, so that it appears to be uh, a difference of opinion. Sometimes it's very vocal, but you'll notice that John Boehner is warming up to amnesty, and he'll vote for it when it's finally presented. Uh, You know, they'll play like they're having a contest. But there's just really no real difference between the two major political parties. They intend to take down American values and conservative voting trends by flooding the country with illegal aliens. And and and, and what's behind this? This some are calling it a ploy, uh, uh, right out of a you know the a, a playbook, a, a ploy sending these children, unaccompanied children, across the border. I mean that just does not seem like it's some spontaneous. A thing. It seems to me that that someone planned that to send all these children pouring over the border. Well, you wouldn't realize it unless you spoke Spanish and listened to all the Spanish language people. Where they actually tutor people 
uh, about the fact that it's the law of the United States that if they're unaccompanied minors, they can't be deported. They have to be given hearings. And, you know, the liberals say, well, this was a law passed by the George H.W. Bush, meaning as if this is a conservative thing, as if this is the Republicans' fault. Well, it's actually the globalists' fault. The globalists ran the Republican administration of George W. Bush, just like they run Barack Obama. And that's why we had all of this pro-illegal immigration stuff, even during George W. Bush. I was present, you know, commenting on this. I had informers from Immigration as Custom Enforcement telling me that the Bush administration was telling them not to enforce the law, not to deport people, doing the same things that Barack Obama is doing, but it's now turned into a flood. Spanish language television, Univision, and others keep giving specials. I mean, almost half of their commentaries about the immigration problem, and they keep giving detailed legal advice to immigrants, and this is broadcast all over Central America, that if you send your children, and these aren't children, these are teenagers and, and around there, uh, you know, the Mexican government will help you get them to the United States border, and once they get inside, they can't be deported. They'll be sent to other families. It's like a free ride. And it's literally turning into a flood coming across the border. The only solution is stop this insanity. You simply turn them around and, and give them a fine and a one-way ticket back to the border. You don't hold them. You don't give them medical care. You don't uh, send them to their relatives. You simply put them back across the border. And, of course, the ultimate solution, you, you need to seal that border. What would the what would it cost to to effectively seal that border? Either with a with a with a fence, with drones, with with military personnel. What would it what would the cost be? Nothing works except a fence. Nothing works except a fence. Drones don't work. You have to radio. You have to go find people. You know, out in the boonies of Texas and Arizona, it's very very difficult to find people at night, even with night vision equipment. You've got to stop them at the border. Let me put it this way. A single-wall, 10-foot-high fence with razor wire on top would cost less than a billion dollars to finish the entire 700 miles that are unfenced so far there. They've got about 650 miles fenced, and only half of that is a people fence. So there's really only about 300 miles that are fenced that stop people. And it doesn't really stop them in the sense that there's no razor wire on top. They can climb them, but it slows them down enough. So that if you had razor wire on top, where they had to cut through the fence and you had, you know, even some fairly inexpensive sensors, you could station a National Guard at once every eighth of a mile and you could guard that fence because you slowed them down coming across the border and you could effectively stop them. Okay, got to take a time out. We'll come back and, and finish on that point and uh, some others. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Passcodes, personal identification numbers, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. All right, Joel Skousen stays with us for a few moments yet till the top of the hour. And he, the editor, publisher of World Affairs Brief. Now, uh... Let's just finish up on uh, on the uh, wave, the flood of illegal uh, aliens pouring across the Mexican border. And I'm wondering, I, I mentioned, you know, the uh, the phony war on terror. However, uh, let's assume for a moment that it's true that the United that, that ISIS is a creation of of the United States. 
uh, and uh, this out-of-control Frankenstein's monster, some of them, uh, decide to turn their attention to the United States, uh, wouldn't that be a great way uh, to infiltrate the U.S. is to, is to basically pour over that Mexican border, you know. Uh, in fact, there are reports that ISIS is, is, uh, is working with some of the drug cartels down in Mexico. What are you hearing about that? Well, I have said this for the past uh, 10 years, uh, that it's proof that, there, that when you have only high-profile terror attacks like 9-11, these are government false flag attacks, because if you had legitimate terrorism, people would be pouring across the border. I've said that for the past 10 years. It's a proof that there are no normal acts of terrorism, none in the United States. And the only ones that the FBI has prosecuted, that is young, angry Muslims, are ones that they infiltrated the mosque, and they gave, they incited them, they gave them, the, taught them how to do it, they gave them the explosive, and then they arrested them to do it. None of those boys would have ever done any of that, you know, had it not been for agent provocateurs uh, who have a view of justifying the war on terror. Now, I will dispute that ISIS is not a purely U.S. creation. Uh, they don't have to. They are, through their occupation throughout the Middle East, creating a lot of hatred for America. So you really don't have to, you know, create all terrorism. You simply have to manage what you have uh, created. I mean, Al-Qaeda was directly something controlled by uh, U.S. Uh, black operations through Saudi Arabia and through uh, Pakistani ISI. But uh, uh, ISIS, I believe, is a composite of a lot of different jihadists uh, who have gone together. And the U.S. has simply funded and given them weapons and ammunition and let them run, run rampant. So this is not something that they intend to control like al-Qaeda was at the very top, because I think that they, in fact, are going to attack ISIS, and you don't go and attack the people you actually build who are direct uh, you know, um, ploys of the dark side of government. But people that you induce and then you slap down later on, yes, that's a more logical thing. I don't believe hardly any of the stories about ISIS being involved in the drug cartels or attempting to attack America. Most of that information comes from neocons within the United States, neocons who have been building up the so-called uh, Islamist uh, fundamentalist threat to America, uh, the gun decks and the other people, and, the, uh, and that's really not a threat. Those things are done to continue to whip up conservatives into supporting the war on the phony war on terror, uh, but. Hardly any of that is true. In fact, I'm frankly surprised that we don't hardly have anything coming across the border. I mean, certainly there are enough independent people who hate the United States that they might try to come across the oceans and then through Mexico. And the fact that they haven't is indicative that so much of this war on terror is, in fact, controlled by dark side government activity. Uh, what's the uh, the latest on uh, on uh, calls and efforts to uh, impeach uh, the current occupant of the White House for things like his inaction on uh, on the illegal aliens crossing the uh, the border. Well, there's any number of reasons for impeaching the president for failure to obey the law, for uh, you know uh, improper executive orders that go beyond uh, uh, what a president's authority is. Uh, but as I've long made the case, they pulled off the Clinton impeachment specifically to poison the impeachment process. Uh, David Skippers, who was the Democratic uh, prosecutor of the Clinton impeachment, said 
it was the Republican leadership that kept me from prosecuting Clinton on the more important charges of uh, allowing uh, high technology to slip into to China, which is a much more serious impeachment charge than, um, than the Monica Lewinsky. They actually just made a laughing stock of the impeachment process. And so ever since then, everyone just laughs at impeachment, just like they laughed at uh, when Ron Paul said, you know, you're violating the Constitution by invading a country without a declaration of war. And they said, oh, that's, that's old-fashioned. We don't do that anymore. And just like impeachment, John Bader saying, we don't do that anymore. I'm going to do a lawsuit against Obama. I mean, this is laughable from legal and constitutional uh, standpoint. There is no base for suing the president. And even if you could, what's the remedy? Is the court going to fine the president? The court is going to say separations of power. We don't have any power to find the president. We're going to lock the president up. See, a lawsuit has nothing. The only legal remedy in the Constitution is an impeachment. And so you have somebody less than credible like Sarah Palin come out and project this to give everyone else an excuse to slam her down and say this is something that simply we don't do anymore. And that's what the Republican establishment is saying. Well, let's just look into the crystal ball into the future two years. You mentioned Sarah Palin. Some still suggest she might throw her hat into the ring. Let me. I want to get your take on a guy that I've been following and kind of like, quite frankly. That's uh, Dr. Ben Carson, the uh, the retired neurosurgeon, African American, highly accomplished uh, author, uh, hates political correctness. <laughs> uh, what do you think of uh, of Dr. Ben Carson on a Republican ticket? Well, I. I don't think he has a chance, uh, just because the establishment uh, simply won't allow anyone but a controlled candidate to uh, uh, to be the Republican nominee. Uh, that's why their first choice is Chris Christie. Uh, he may have shot himself in the foot sufficiently, and I'm not sure he can't be resurrected. Second choice is probably uh, uh, Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio. Uh, what I can tell you is they will not allow Rand Paul to get the nomination or Ted Cruz. Uh, they're talking about one of the Nebraska senators who may be, uh, uh, you know, they will. If you look at any, learn anything from the 2008, you'll see that they have a whole backlog of four or five different candidates. When they want to throw somebody at the public and they reject it, they bring in and all of a sudden they boost him with phony polling saying if somebody else is surging in the polls, as they did with Newt Gingrich and Rick Santorum and, uh, you know, uh, Rick Perry and other controlled candidates. Uh, so we can expect to have a backlog of four or five, but it won't be Ben Carson, in my opinion. I think he's too honest. Um, they're just not going to let an honest person in. They're going to have to have somebody control men. And I do believe, by the way, that they're, you know, Hillary Clinton has the nomination sewed up for the Democrats, but I don't think the powers that be want her in. I think they sense the pulse of the public that they want change from these Obama Democrats, and they're going to give them a controlled Republican as a way of tamping down the powerful resistance against what's coming. And that Republican will not allow us to get rid of Obamacare or change anything that's the status quo, but will move forward with compromise. And that's how you tamp down the opposition, not by bringing in Hillary Clinton. It's all about continuity, isn't it? It is. But it's also about fooling and taking the air out of people's opposition and suborning people's resistance. And that's what, it, you know, I think you know, they want controlled puppets in there. And uh, Hillary Clinton would actually try to run the presidency. And even though she is controlled, they've got a lot of dirt on Hillary. Uh, I think they'd rather 
take the benefits that a controlled Republican can give them uh, rather than stick the country with another Democrat. Uh, I, I see one of the uh, the, the stories on uh, this week's World Affairs Brief has to do with the other hat that you wear, and that is as a preparedness expert. And you've got a preparedness tip entitled bug-out bags. Tell us about what, what what do we need to have in a bug-out bag, and what exactly is a bug-out bag, Joel? Well, a bug-out bag, of course, is uh, you know something that uh, you have ready-made and packed, and usually it's a backpack or a duffel bag where you have everything that you need to get out of town fast should we have a major crisis come. And, you know, most people live in urban areas, and uh, believe me, it doesn't take for about, uh, you know, a panic situation of 10 or 15 minutes, and suddenly the freeways are just clogged and crowded. And so having a bug-out bag means that you don't want to be sitting around packing food and water and extra fuel, uh, you know, extra change of clothing. And, you know, you need certain things for your car as well so that you extra gas in the, the tank. You need all that stuff packed in your garage so that you can grab it, throw it in the car, round up the kit, and get out of town if you're going to make an exit. And so in this, in every World Affairs Brief now, the last section, we have a preparedness tip. And this week was bug out bag. Last week was a new uh, a strategic relocation website that I've helped to uh, found. I'm not an actual owner in the website, but consulted with them. A lot of people are looking for places to move to or provide retreat possibilities, you know, to get out of Dodge to retreat to. That's what you need a bug-out bag for. And uh, so this new website, strategicrelocation.com, gives people a chance to see properties that people list and to find properties and even to sell properties that they might have that have good retreat potential. And and retreat from what? What's number one on your uh, your list of concerns? Is it an EMP of some sort? No, an EMP will not come as a single event because anyone throwing an EMP strike, which is a high-altitude nuclear explosion, takes six of them to cover the United States and Canada. So this is not something that any terrorist can do. Only Russia and China can throw these. And then nuclear doctrine says you have a nuclear, physical nuclear weapons falling on military targets within 10 or 15 minutes after the EMP strike. So if there's an EMP strike, we're dealing with a nuclear war, which I think, by the way, is the most credible long-term threat that we're facing. I'm not a big fan of economic collapse. I think the powers that be are going to do everything possible uh, to continue to bail things out until they get to war, because the war gives them cover. You get a new world order, you get a new currency, you get a new mechanism for controlling economy, people, military, communications. War does everything for them. And... Ultimately, though, people's major problem in any crisis is population density. Too many people cannot take care of themselves, cannot be self-sustaining, don't have enough food or water stored when there's no electricity. There's going to be mass panic in cities within two to three days of any major crisis that involves the lack of electricity. And so people need to be prepared to get out of Dodge, have a bug out bag, have a place to go, and have a route plan that doesn't involve getting on the freeway. And I cover that in my book, Strategic Relocation, in great detail about how to map your routes out so that you don't get trapped by freeways and by uh, you know, major population refugee flows that are trying to get out of the, the major cities. And uh, you're, where do you retreat to? What would be your number one uh, location? I mean, are we talking about a, a rural retreat, a log cabin somewhere in the mountains, another country? Uh, where? 
Well, I cover all of those aspects. It's a very complex subject, and there is no, quote, safe place for everybody. It really depends on people's personal circumstances, but if you're going to retreat, it's got to be close enough that you can get there. I mean, people in New York aren't going to be able to get clear out to Utah and Idaho, which are probably that area, and the states around that and then the far west are probably the safest places because there's the fewest population out there, and there's lots of mountains and uh, places to, uh, to retreat to. But most people are going to have to find things closer to home. And there's a lot of places in rural areas, if you follow the counsel I give in the book, of how to avoid not being visible from any of the major or secondary roads. You know, nothing worse than people running out of gas on a secondary road and coming to your farmhouse, which is visible from the road, and you're inundated with people who uh, are desperate. Exactly. All right, Joel, listen, always a pleasure. I appreciate your time again tonight. Thank you very much, Richard. Joel Skousen, World Affairs Brief. The website, richardserrett.com. And as always, follow the truth. <laughs>